Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, and I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro a podcast. podcast. All about, don't yes. stop. Stop. A podcast all about the Bible theology and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm just going to warn our listeners and viewers right now that, that Ryan has already shared with me that he's He's been, he's been working on several projects and he has had a large amount of caffeine today. I am I am fully caffeinated. I am as <laughs> so, so let it as gonna, you can get. He's just gonna kinda take this and I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with it and uh No, it's good. Know. It's good. You know, for three fifteen, I'm it's good. I, it's good, it's good, it's good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Everything's fine, my heart's fine. It's like three fifteen PM uh, and I have never felt more alive than I do right now. <laughs> On a Friday. On there a Friday. Go. I've never felt more alive. But anyway, we're oh, back. We're you back. Could we're binge, you could probably binge a whole TV show tonight. You know? <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway. anyway, we're back. We're back to Daniel. Now, this is yeah. uh, back. We're Daniel 6. I'm trying to slow yeah. down my speech. I'm sorry. I'm, You're I'm fine. I, I, I already gave a warning. We'll, put, we'll flash some kind of thing, you know. Slightly caffeinated. Uh-huh. Like flashing over your head. Yeah, I may pass out. So Daniel six here. <laughs> Daniel six. We're wrapping up the right. narrative part of Daniel. Yes, this is the, this will be the last one till we get to chapter seven. Although there was a, <laughs> yes what? six then seven. <laughs> well, Correct. seven. Daniel seven. I guess when I say Daniel seven, that means something to me. But uh, that begins our apocalyptic, very strongly apocalyptic visions that Daniel mm-hmm. has and. So seven through twelve really have have a different character. Although you know we may point this out at the end of this episode. There, you you've got this um, by one of our former guests, uh, a writing he did on Daniel, and yeah. uh, um, you know he he. I think it's a really good point that he shows the connections between chapter seven and really the the chapters two through six particularly. But maybe we'll say that some about a, that later. I've said that there's a I think there's a close connection between chapter seven and chapter two. Mm-hmm. The the four kingdoms that are talked about in two, I think, are the same four that are talked about in seven. Although again, some some people disagree. So you might remember it's been a been a while for us. I guess it was only last week for everybody else. But uh, Daniel five ended with Darius the Mede taking control. You remember the whole story of. You remember the whole story of Belshazzar and uh, the writing on the wall and that very night and yep. really interesting kind of story that we have there. Daniel 6 then begins with Darius. Uh, the way I'll put it is kind of organizing his his kingdom, uh, beginning to put into order the things that he had taken from the Babylonians. Uh, and so he, he begins to organize them by provinces. We find that he appoints Satraps is the word that's used uh, often uh, Say tra- here. Satraps? Satraps, yeah. That's just governors. Not, not satraps? Would, I, don't, I don't know. I don't speak ancient ancient Aramaic. I don't know. Satrap. It could be. I, I, ancient I, Persian. It probably is Persian. Even. I just thought, I, I just always heard it as satrap. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. That's satrap. Um, so chapter, I'm, I'm from Southern Indiana, so we really kind of just talk however we want I to. know. You've said that many times. <laughs> chapter 531. And and so go ahead and read 531 since we, we, we left that off uh, last week. Go ahead and read 531. Yeah. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So I was just mentioning to you before this started that there are sometimes, and you'd ask you'd ask about this question because you read some commentaries that talk about this and there mm-hmm. and Darius the Mede. So there are um, some older uh, translations of Daniel. We're talking about back in the Aramaic that begin this narrative section with that verse. So we we have you know in English we've tacked that verse thirty one onto the end of five. So he right. takes over from Belshazzar the, that very night, Darius the Mede, and then this. But there are those who begin chapter six, what we would call chapter six, this narrative about Daniel the lion's den begins with this idea and Darius the Mede. There is a connection here, obviously. And uh, you, you I, well, I'll let you point this out a little bit later, but there's there's some thematic connections here as well. Yeah. Um, so there's some, some relationship here. Very soon after Darius the Mede takes the empire, he begins to put things in order. Verses one through three are similar to what we've seen earlier. And I'll go ahead. The other connection, I mentioned chapter two and chapter seven. Uh, the other connection we see is a strong one between here, between this one and chapter three. 
uh, you'll remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it's a very similar story, really, right? right. There's mm-hmm. there's jealousy. They, you know, there's a kind of a trap that's laid for them, and and it ends up that that they are uh, put into danger, and God delivers them. It, it's a very similar kind of story, and even some of the details are, are very so- similar. Um, but this, of course, has a, it, it's the the difference is it has a it involves a new group of people. It's not it's the Medes now. And it's kind of that the setting of Darius beginning to organize his empire is kind of the setting for this too, because mm-hmm. he places Daniel in a very high position, and uh, this causes a great deal of jealousy in in uh, among the ranks. So go ahead and read the first three verses then of chapter six, of, of as we have it, Daniel chapter yeah. six. It pleased Darius to appoint one hundred satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them. One of them was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So he was going to be elevated even to be kind of the supervisor for this entire system, kind of a two-tiered system that we have where, you know, probably over regions there are various uh, satraps, maybe even, you know, multiple ones for each region. Because uh, some people have questioned the number one twenty seems like a a, a lot, uh, but then there are, there are you know three governors over them that kind of the kind of rule and the idea is is Daniel excelled in this, just like we've seen other times. Um, and and the other one I'll, I'll go ahead and mention the other thing I've said this before, the other character in the Old Testament this reminds me of is Joseph. Mm-hmm. You remember when Joseph was down in Egypt and everything yeah. he did, no matter what kind of situation he found himself in, uh, he was, uh, he was, you know, continued to be elevated. Look back. You've got your Bible there, don't you? Yeah. Look back in verses 11, chapter 5, 11, and 12. Go ahead and read this. This talks about kind of Daniel's uh, superiority, if you will, Daniel's. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Okay, go ahead. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. So his he, he's excelling above the others in this. And what I wanted to particularly point out was actually the very first thing you read uh, where it talks about that this was attributed to the idea that the spirit of the gods or, you know, spirit mm-hmm. of God is, is in him. And, and if you remember, this is something that Daniel has insisted on the whole time. I think that's right. another really interesting part of this whole story is he continues to say, there's nothing exceptional about me, but you know, as I've said repeatedly, there is a God in heaven, right? Yes. And and he has enabled me, right, by his spirit, Daniel says, he has enabled me to to do these things. So it, it, it's really an interesting contrast to the pride, as we talked about last week, of the kings like Belshazzar, who is who who is basically showing his own ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, here is Daniel instead saying, this has nothing to do with me. This is only a gift of God that allows me to, to do these things. And I, I think it's a good... A good part of his his character that we see. I just don't so know why you have the rest of them. You know, like and we just talked about the enchanters and the sorcerers oh, and all that I stuff. You, you got Daniel, yeah. like, <laughs> like oh, call this guy. I think his name's Daniel. No, what's he done so far? Well, I just, you know, there there are probably other stories that we don't we don't oh, hear about. I'm you know, sure. One day the king has a bunion and he says to the he, he calls all the enchanters. And the enchanter says, "Oh, you may want to put some acid on that or something." You know, it takes care of it. Yeah, and they don't have to call Daniel in. You know, or there's this the the diviner says there's this magic mushroom that the uh, that oh, the gods okay. have shown. Me. Oh, all right, fine. Those are the stories I'm we don't get. Those. It's like always, like oh wait, can we dig in the closet and find this one guy that was here? Like holy cow! Right. Remember but those no, three guys is... are in the furnace? No, I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't remember these stories. Who are we talking about? Anyway, that's my yeah, anyway. response. And again. Well, I, and I, it, you do bring up an interesting point. You know, I'm always talking about the narrative, and and that's every narrative shows selection, right? Yeah. I'm going to mention. Well, I'll mention it now. Uh, if you remember, in the very first, the very first week we talked about Daniel, I mentioned then that that if we take these accounts and we take historical Daniel, which I do, mm-hmm. then by this time, if we if we put all the 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 kings in order. 
he's in his he's in his eighties now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and and if you think about it, from the from the time he's probably a young man, maybe late 15, teens. Yeah. Yeah. Fifteen to twenty in that in that range, and now he's in his eighties. Over a period of sixty years, these are just a few stories. Right? right. Yeah. And and so there's lots of other stuff that happened, mm-hmm. but these have been selected and they've also been arranged. I always say narrative always mm-hmm. has always has selection arrangement, unless it's your uncle Benny telling you the story and then it has neither. No inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> he neither, just whatever comes up. He neither head. selects nor arranges. It's just kind of a stream of consciousness. Um but but when you're telling a story, you need to choose, pick and choose what what plot points you're going to talk about and you arrange them in a way in order to, I, I don't know, in order to be convincing, or sometimes you do it in order to uh, have an element of surprise or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, there's different ways you can arrange the same story. You could tell the same story in different ways that are, that's going to have it in a different intended effect. Uh, and I think, again, we've talked about the Holy Spirit role and all this. I think the Holy Spirit, uh, what uh, he intends, if you will, to do in us, uh, also may have something to do with the arrangement. Anyway, that's just side there. But verses four and five, let me go ahead and read that. It says that the, at this, the administrators of satraps could find no um, uh, basis uh, for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were, un- or I'm sorry, they tried to, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men says, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of this God, of his God. So he's showing himself to be faithful both in his his issues of life and faith, but also in his duties. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it, we're not kind of really given this, but the idea is that they become jealous of his being elevated to the status, um, you know, whether it's because he's he's an out, quote unquote, outsider uh, whether it has something to do with just their desire to be in that position, whatever. We don't really get that detail, but whatever it is, they they begin to attack him. And I find it really interesting that it says the only thing that we can find against him would have to do with the law of his God. Uh, it goes back to chapter one. You might remember that where eat the food the king puts in front of you from the, from the king's table and they're like, oh, you know, we we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, but mm, no. So, so you know, there's no there's no basis for a charge, especially then if you're reading this as a as a one of God's people, you're saying, well, even in His uprightness with the law, that there, there's nothing to condemn. Uh, but that's that's the beginning of this plot uh, against Him, and we find. We find other stories like this, not only in the Bible, but also in the ancient Near East in general. But but then also we find the same kind of thing. And in, in, uh, here's the other thing this reminds me of is the times that Jesus faces um, traps. You know, they, mm. they try to to, to, to to trap him a couple of t- different times. Mm-hmm. One that comes to mind is when they ask him about taxes, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's it, you don't necessarily see it immediately, but it's it's the fact that it is the, the Herodians – and uh, the Pharisees who come to ask him that question together, which is a very strange combination, right? And and makes you pick up your ears and you go, oh wait a minute, they're trying to trap him in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there's another time in John I won't I won't mention right now, but because there's a lot, <laughs> there's a, well there's just too much going on there. Yeah. But but there are times where Jesus is put in the same kind of position where you know they they put him in a position where they think that he's going to answer in a particular way that is going to be against his own character, if you will, his own law. And he, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. And it's the same here that Daniel is, is they think, well, we can trap him by making him go against the law of his God. So this is uh verses six and seven. So these administrators say traps went, I'm sorry, satraps, is that how you say it? Went to a, yes, went, I know Aramaic. Thank you. Thank you for, <laughs> I have to look it up. I honestly don't know. Uh, went as a group to the king and said, may, may King Darius live forever. I, I say Darius sometimes and Darius too, so I don't know. The royal administrators, <laughs> prefects, whatevers, advisors, and governors have all agreed <laughs> that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days. Now, let's uh, come back and think about that idea of praise to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. 
Now, your majesty issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So several interesting things here going on. Uh, one is, you know, for the Persians, this idea that the kings have a, a, a godly, a divine role is not is not unheard of. So mm-hmm. this isn't like a weird, you know, seems to us kind of a weird thing. Um you know, we wouldn't necessarily bow our knee. Uh, but the other thing is, when you, I'm saying to like a governor or ruler yeah. or something like that, necessarily. But the uh, <laughs> oh my god, the idea of moving on, <laughs> the idea of praying here is kind of a, the idea of a, making a petition, right? When when we're praying, in particular, now there's there's different parts of praying, but I think we're particularly thinking here about petitioning God for something, desiring something, well, asking something of God. Um, you know, those whatever you want to want to call those petitionary prayers is kind of the the term that I would use in this. And and so if you think about it, it's the same kind of thing with a ruler, right? There are times you go to a ruler and petition them uh for you know whatever the needs, you know, oh oh Lord, would you grant me, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying basically, I think, not necessarily pray to him in that sense, but basically, you know, may may we only come to you to ask for our needs, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and put you in that kind of position, that kind of role of being our provider. So, <laughs> right? so yeah, so you don't see this as being like a polytheistic, because the uh, Egyptians... No, it's, kind definitely, of poly, it's definitely polytheistic. Or, or yeah. th- that he has divinity to them, but it's just like, I don't need to pray to them like in... in how we would say we pray, I can go to him directly because yeah, he's embodied, and petition, divin- embodied and petition him. Yeah. Embodied and, divinity. And I think it would have to do with this. The, you know, again, it seems kind of strange, but it, for me, it helps me a little bit. You, you see what I'm saying? That, that you you go to a governor and right. ask for something. Right. And so think about this, particularly if you are just in the beginning of your rule, <laughs> right? If you've just taken over this, this empire, um, it, it, it would behoove you to say anything that anybody wants, let them come to me and ask. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, in, in other words, it's kind of a way to consolidate that Power. you are the provider. Mm-hmm. It's, it's similar. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar later when the Caesars, and again, there's a divinity, there's divine status attributed there. Right. But the Caesars are seen as kind of the ones who are the givers of peace. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're the, they're the givers of peace everything that's necessary for life mm-hmm. right so it's that kind of a that kind of an idea and so I guess the only reason I'm I'm saying this is it helps me to think you know because it's just it, otherwise it's kind of an odd thing and especially how quickly Darius goes oh yeah okay um in a similar way remember we saw Nebuchadnezzar uh, and that was kind of early in his reign to remember mm-hmm. where he puts up the statue and says let everyone bow to me right and, mm-hmm. and essentially recognize um, I think I use the the term allegiance. Then make everybody give allegiance to me. And so here I would see it more as so so are we we owe allegiance only to God, but God's people also recognize that every good thing we have doesn't come from the ruler; it ultimately comes from God. Mm-hmm. And do, he is he is the one. Yeah. So mm-hmm. do we see this kind of concept? Uh, is it when Jesus feeds the five thousand? It calls it the Sea of Tiberias. And as he gives them the bread and lo- the fish and the loaves, and they say, "We want to make you king," because chapter six of yeah. Gospel of John. That's okay. that's so the feeding of that's the feeding of the of the five thousand. And John is the only one who uses that term Tiberius, and mm-hmm. and and we have that that and connection with making a king. Because after mm-hmm. Jesus feeds them, yeah. then they're like, "Oh, we want to make you king, king right, over by us." Force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it, I mean, is that the same kind of idea, like that the. Caesar was so. kind of like the the giver mm-hmm. of things, yeah. and we kind of have this in the Old Testament ideals as well. Is like right. come to the king; the king's the one that gives you the provider, that gives you the things that you, you need. Want. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. and 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 again, it, it's it's it's. I don't even think it's an just only an ancient, you know, idea. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm don't don't worry too much. I'm even thinking about in 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 you know medieval england you know mm. the idea of the feudal system right you know you have the lord and and they are the ones but even let's go into let's say a you know political situation what do we always talk about we always talk about polit- politicians make promises 
right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or or what was the? I I can't remember now. I know one of our good friends would know this immediately. Which which president was it? Was like um, you know, a chicken in every pot was kind of the, you know, that that everybody's going to have everything that they need. Right. Um. And, and so you know that's you know everything from there to to it's the economy stupid i suppose we could say and that's as far as i'll go but um the uh um you know it's still that way right mm-hmm. there's a sense in which the those who are in charge <laughs> want us to see them as the one that we go to when we have needs and and there are people that way um even i'm going to say even in the churches <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's sometimes our tendency to think let's let's go look for what we need from the human leaders rather than the ones to whom the human leader is, is pointing. And that's one of the things as, as leaders, we have to continually resist mm-hmm. um, that idea that that we are the ones who are providing things for people because we, we like that feeling. Right. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's a nice feeling. Mm-hmm. But but ultimately, the same as Daniel then. No, it's not me. There's a God in heaven who's able to interpret dreams. I think is the is the the correct standpoint. Okay. That's probably more than you wanted. Well, I, you know, I started the whole train going down a different path, but no, I think that's good. Do we kind of see what what the idea is behind here? Right now, the other thing I was going to mention with this idea of petition, though, is it, and, and this is unanswerable, but I'm I'm going to tell you why I think in this way is it makes you wonder what Daniel would be petitioning God for. Hmm. Now he's in his eighties, right? But he's he's a good Jewish follower of of you know Yahweh, right? Mm-hmm. And so, in terms of the covenant, in terms of what God has promised His people, what would be a good prayer of of exile? A Messiah and and, and return a us, yeah, return, return us, us to the homeland and rebuild the temple. And in fact, I'm going to show you just a little bit of just an image of that, I think. And so here's why I mentioned that is because I think that fits in well with the apocalyptic that comes next. Mm. Because, right, apocalyptic is always about when we're not in control, when God's people are not in the political uh, power. Right. Uh, it, it's about when God's people are oppressed. It's about when Scott, when God's people... Uh, things are not the way that God want God's people want them to be, right? And, and not the way God has promised that they would be. Um, and, and so they're looking for answers about when are these things going to happen? You know, Habakkuk's cry, you know, how long, O Lord, are you going to mm-hmm. allow these things to happen? Or, you know, the same cry of the slain saints under the altar in, in uh, Revelation. The, yeah, and the fifth seal's opened. How long, O Lord, faithful and true, until you avenge our blood? And so that's kind of the continual question. And so <laughs> I'm not trying to make too much out of this, but 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 look, let me look just a little bit further, and I'll kind of show you why why I'm thinking this. So they 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 said, um, okay, down in in verse um, nine, he puts the decree in writing. And I, I should mention this: there's a passage in Esther, um, yeah, Esther one nineteen, and also in eight eight. It talks about the same idea that the the law of the Medes and Persians is irrevocable. Once the once the king of the Medes and Persians has, you know, it's, it's thus saith the king. You know, once it's been put in writing, then it's it can't be revoked. Which this I, is a, yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. When I was reading this, that's so interesting. You know, like you right. think about the king's the king's the one that makes the the yeah. calls always, but it's like this act of writing. Like now he has to answer to a higher. The, a yeah. higher law that he's, even he's the kings submit to. And, of course, that's very important for the plot because later when we find Daniel caught in it, he, he can't even act himself. Mm-hmm. He is powerless to act himself in order to rescue Daniel, right? Mm-hmm. And so he has to look to God to be the one who rescues him, ironically. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think that that's why it's important for the plot. But it's interesting. We see the same thing in the book of Esther, mm-hmm. uh, you know, set in a similar in, in a similar context. Uh, where we have this the same kind of thing, um, the law of the Medes and Persians, that, and I'll give you the reference again. It's one Esther one nineteen and eight eight mentions mm-hmm. that. So, um, it says in verse ten. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the end of, windows opened toward Jerusalem. Okay, so there's part of our 
idea. This is this is his habitual place to pray is in the windows that face toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. I think that's an important part of this. They knew um, he was, they knew just as he had done before, they knew what he did. He was going to do it. And Daniel doesn't change his routine. Hmm. You know, this, this is not, <laughs> this is not, you know, okay, we're going to outlaw prayer. So Daniel's like, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go open my windows and pray. Right. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not like he's trying to thumb his nose at it. He's simply saying, this is my commitment. This is my devotion to God it is to do this on a daily basis. This is, this is a part of my faith. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so I find that interesting, you know, and I think that's important. That's an important point to bring up just as he had done before. And even the way that the verbs are, are given here is that this is, this is his habitual. This is something that he does on a regular basis. Um, and then notice this. Um, so it says giving thanks here, but then verse 11 says, then these men went as a group to found, and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And that's the other thing I think is just this indication that this is a petition, mm-hmm. right? This is, he, he's not asking the king for help, right? He's asking God for help. And that's a, that's a little bit of that flavor of apocalyptic that I'm talking about. Um, you know, yeah. apocalyptic is basically saying that despite the way things appear, there is a God in heaven, and he is, he is able to rescue his people, um, despite what, what it appears. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Any comments or questions on any of that? Uh, you know, I think about this, it, it, thinking about his routine, like, was right. it just a visual routine? You know, I think about it, Daniel has excelled in everything at this point, and, like, right. obviously he's very theistic god oriented and all he does sure. you know like you I, I wonder how much of this is his conversation on a you know to these other administrators he's with or right the satraps and That's stuff interesting but, yeah it's an interesting point well it, it, it's just you know i think if, in a polytheistic society would you not see people praying on a regular basis all over the place potentially right. or worship they might worship in different ways you know and i just sure. be prayer but um i also think it's you know asking you know is he praying out loud i'm just thinking about the pieces of the right. story like how do they know he's asking god for help is he praying out loud to god for right. help or you know and even in that like he's not being silent about his right. calling on god for for assistance or, or praying to right. god although i'm going to make a point here about about that silence in just a minute but it, <laughs> great it, it's, no no it's it's no i i hear i, I get your point i'm going to say a couple things first is i've already alluded to the fact that i think daniel had an influence later on you know, it's interesting to me that that the opening of the story of the New Testament in Matthew, um, you have these magi, these wise men from the east, mm, yeah. who come and say, "We've heard about this king who's going to be born of the Jews." Right, and I think you know, I'm not saying they're the direct descendants of Daniel, but it's that kind of influence that God's people had in exile that would have taught these eastern. Um, wise men, um, those stories, right? Right. And, and and the scriptures that would have said there's there's a star going to arise, you know, this this kind of thing, and uh, you know uh, that they knew to go to Jerusalem, you know, all these kind of things. But but the other thing I want you to see is I think his whole life we still see, and, and Daniel knew the stories too, right? He he knew that they were getting toward the period of time where God had promised in Jeremiah mm-hmm. that I'm going to bring my people back after 70 years. I'm going to bring them back to the land. And, uh, you know, I think, I think he knew that, uh, you know, I don't think there would have been any question. And, and so I think he has an anticipation, you know, the same, same we see, like you said, for the Messiah coming, I think his is to return to Jerusalem. So I think mm-hmm. that's why his practice is to open the, open the windows toward Jerusalem and pray in that direction. And I think the asking God for help you know, you could see it as rescue from the lions, I suppose, but I really see it as as you know, God come and come to the rescue of your people and do what you promised. Mm-hmm. Uh, is what I would I would imagine. Again, that, like I said, there's no way to know, but that's my imagination. Any any other thoughts on that? I have no more thoughts. <laughs> I've been <laughs> flushed. So much coffee. I've I... been flushed of thoughts. <laughs> 
Verse 12 says, so when they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So here that is repeated. Um, I should mention the lion's den. I was going to say something about that earlier. Why do you, why, why do you keep a bunch of lions around? You know? Well, and, what were you going to say? For a moment like this, yeah, I would just, throw in, if I were king, like, aren't you the one who published a decree? Like someone that's coming in with that kind of attitude, like, yeah, you're the ones that brought it up. Get in that lion's den. That's why I had the lion's den. Just smart mouths. Yeah. Aren't you the one who wrote that? Anyway, that's probably, what I think. You know, probably entertainment. They would have lions for that reason and that kind of thing. Uh, anyway. Yes, lion's uh, den is, I would say, even if I'm king, it seems like a weird thing just to keep around for. <laughs> just to keep. Just to know, keep. Just to have it around. Hey, you, know. you been to lion's den recently? No, it's a pit with lions. Why would I go? <laughs> then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. Now, that's why I mentioned earlier, you know, is it because of his being an outsider? Uh, you know, I, and I find it funny that he's still called an exile from Judah if he is in his 80s now. <laughs> you know, that was that was all those years ago. One of the exiles from Judah pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Even they, you know, have this idea that he continues to do this. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. But this is where that whole idea of the, the law of the Medes and Persians cannot be repealed comes in. And and it's interesting, even with that, he tries every way that he can to find, you know, find a relief. We don't have details of this. You know, does it is it a matter of, you know, he goes to Daniel and says, hey, lie about who you're praying to or something like that. I, I don't know. But but you get what I'm saying is it's he, he tries to to save Daniel, but he finds that he he's unable to uh, in, in all of this. Uh, then the men went to a group, as a group to King Darius and said to him, "Remember, Your Majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict from the king uh, that the king issues can be changed." So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. So this is kind of the first half of the narrative up to this point uh, is is kind of where we are, and um, you know, it, it it again, it's one of those kind of things when you think in terms of apocalyptic, you can think of, think about this as a bigger kind of sense. Like this is kind of an image of God's people, right? Going into exile mm -hmm. and, you know, having, having these things happen to them and, 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 and so forth. But then the King said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. What, what he couldn't do in terms of, of rescuing, um, you know, trying to, trying to, secure rescue for him. May your God do that uh, is, is his petition, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So a stone was brought in, placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, with the rings of the nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And this is just kind of one of those things to heighten the ability. He, he didn't sneak out. There, you know, there weren't other people who came in the night and let him out. The idea of the signet ring is to say, you know, to indicate this is, this is the king's own seal, uh, it reminds us, of course, of the tomb, right? It reminds mm -hmm. us of the seal that was placed there, right? Um, in, in order, you know, again, in order to ensure that no one was going to come and steal the body. Uh, verse eighteen. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the whole night uh, without eat, or spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. So, you know, gives us an in indication of his state of mind. Inner turmoil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In in relation to all of that. Um, let me see. Was there anything? I'm trying to make sure I didn't, didn't miss that. Oh, I, I did forget this. So Darius' statement, go back. You have Daniel 3.15. Go ahead and back and read that if you can get to it. Yeah. Daniel 3.15. This is the, um, Daniel 3.15. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. <laughs> Uh, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my yeah. hand? What God can rescue you. And now here's may the God whom, whom you serve rescue you. So that's hmm. all. I'm just going to mention the, the verbal parallels there is all I was going to 
was going to point out. Mm. Okay. So here's then the kind of the denouement, so to speak. So verse 19 says, at the first light of dawn, so again, you're imagining him kind of waiting on the clock, waiting for the first light to, to come. King got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's den? Verse 21, Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Do you notice that that's the very first words of Daniel in this entire story? I do now. <laughs> I and have noticed now. And in fact, it's interesting because that's the only words of him in this entire story. Hmm. The only thing Daniel says in this. So, <laughs> you know, for this to be a story about Daniel, <laughs> It, it, it's he's really kind of a passive participant. In it's, this, just, right? it's just happening to him. Things are done to him, and, and so this is this is his his statement here. Uh, and I think it's kind of central. It's kind of central in this whole thing. Is basically, um, you know, I, I'm innocent. Uh, my God has sent has sent an angel, shut the mouths of the lions. Uh, you know, in other words, he's acted to rescue me. He's acted on my behalf, and um, you know. And I've not done any wrong either to you or, you know, either to him or to you. King was overjoyed. So we see the change. He goes from an anguished voice now to an overjoyed voice after he finds Daniel um, safe. Gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he trusted in his God. So this is very similar to um, the fiery furnace. You might remember when they took them out. No, no smell of smoke even on them. No smell of smoke on their clothing. Mm -hmm. um, it, it emphasizes the miraculous nature uh, of the healing. Similar things in the New Testament when Jesus heals. Right, you have the, the you know the the paralytic stands up and and leaps and praises God. I guess that's a book of Acts. That's where I was thinking about there. But but you have these complete cures, right? You have these the the that they're they're uh, absolutely complete in their, in their uh, rescue, in their healing. And so the miracle here is complete. No wound at all was found on him because he had trusted in his God. So then, of course, the reversal is always a good one. Verse 24, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown in the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. I don't remember so, that from the flannel graph. I'll be honest. <laughs> so it's an emphatic, right? It's an emphatic. The opposite of no wound on him, right, is that even before they hit the, hit the ground, the lions had crushed their bones. Well, uh, and and answer yeah. this: like it says, the men who had falsely accused Daniel, like, yeah, was it a false accusation? Uh, I guess not. But it was a. I would call it a trap. Mm -hmm. I would call it a trap. I mean, is this kind of parallel to Esther again? Like they said, there's like a trap in Esther yeah. as well, and I so like similar. this mm -hmm. kind of idea that it it wasn't necessarily about the false accusation, but it was that they were trying to set a trap just to get Daniel. Yeah, like the kings, I, the the kings looking back, kind of going, "Oh, you guys brought the thirty yeah. day thing to me. You made me sign it. And now you made me do this, and now I'm yeah. like, I've got an easy." And I think it's similar to the story of the woman taken in adultery. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> you mean Susanna? It's also similar to Susanna. Um, there's a trap there for a righteous, in that case, Jewish woman to fall into. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it's uh, you know it, it. So what is this? And all these are wisdom stories, right? What they're what they're teaching is basically, even when uh, people are trying to trap us, even even in our faithfulness, um, we don't respond by, you know giving up our practices instead what does it say here daniel trusted in god to rescue mm -hmm. him uh so it's the same so how, how do you respond to exile uh you know how do you respond as a good jewish person a good person of god when you're in exile well you don't you don't give up on him you don't 
you know, you continue to be faithful in the things that he has called you to do, and you trust in his ability to rescue you despite every every circumstance. I mean, it's a freaking lion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, 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 you know, this isn't, you know, he didn't throw him into the rabbit's den, right? It, it's not the, right. you know. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a bowl full of kittens. Right. <laughs> throw him into the kitten den. Oh, yeah, he's going to be pounced on all night oh so you get what i'm saying though is is so this idea of lion i mean it it is you know bring your worst yeah right bring your worst um a furnace so hot that the people who are who are stoking the furnace die from you know the heat do your worst and God still is able to protect his people in times of difficulty that's the message And, and i think again that's really the message of apocalyptic as well. We're going to see in chapter seven through twelve. So we we want to keep a hold of that. That that this this idea that God will come and rescue His people. He'll rescue His people from exile, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what kingdom should arise, even if it looks like an iron monster with big teeth, um, you know, even if it's a even if it's a empire that that looks like a lion, right? God is able to rescue us from them as well. So wow. Thoughts on that? Any any other comments or questions? Uh, n- no, no. Uh, we'll finish it up, and I, I do have a question or a okay. comment. Go ahead and read. I just lost my Bible. My my phone ran out of battery. So uh, read verses 25 through 28 for me, and then I'm going to have you look over to Hebrews 11 yeah. too at some point. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear, must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And it's very similar to then chapter 4, you might remember, with that that decree that Nebuchadnezzar, remember that, Mm -hmm. that letter that he sent out. Uh, into all the world, so this this kind of decree, of course, the dec- decree of um, of Darius allowing Cyrus, uh, his co regent, we understand that's how we understand this, but Cyrus sending his decree that that um, everyone should be returned to their homeland. Of course, then it's the beginning of the excuse me of the return from exile that we find um, this idea of returning from exile to go to. Um, Rebuild the uh, temple and rebuild Jerusalem. Go back to Jerusalem, right? Well, not rebuild the wall. Anyway. Right. <laughs> Eventually. Yes. Eventually, yeah, yes. That's Nehemiah. So but anyway, the the that's kind of the the parallel we have here. Cyrus sends out this decree saying basically this is this is the God you should worship. So Yeah, and this the the reason you and I had talked about the and beforehand, yeah. connecting five and chapter six together six. was mm-hmm. Um, is this contrast of how the king yeah. of Babylon responded to God's revelation and, and God's right. uh, the holy objects from the, the temple, and then we have um, Darius's response when he's confronted yeah. with these things. We have turning away, and then the kingdom's taken away, and then we have Darius who responds in a totally different fashion. Right. That these stories are connected, uh, and that they're showing two sides of yeah. how do you respond to the God of uh, of Israel. The narrative uh, technique is called twinning. When you have these two stories that kind of show this, the both the similarities, but then also the differences between people's response, um, and that's that's what we have. I think that's exactly right. There's a there's a mm-hmm. contrast here between these two, the Be- Belshazzar and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Darius. Yeah. So this is one thing that that kind of I was as we were reading this kind of stuck in my head, and maybe you can give some wisdom to this, is we've gone from calling Daniel Belteshazzar uh-huh. to Daniel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this because of Nebuchadnezzar's change that he allowed Daniel to re- to return back to this idea of his real name and yeah, not I don't I don't want to make too much of that. I mean it's possible. And and of course you you gotta remember you have a whole different um, nation, you have a whole different people coming in at this point as well. Who would? But be even, speaking. but even back in five, it, it says like uh, he did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found Bel- to have Belshazzar. Yeah, so I didn't yeah. know. Like, did they know him by both names, or wh- wh- what I, was I, going on there? That would be my guess. Um, and, and so, <laughs> yeah, I would say officially, 
like when he went to work, that I'm sure the king called him Belteshazzar, right? Now, I don't know about it. Afterwards, after, it may after be. After hours, it, Daniel, man. <laughs> no, I'm saying more like when he's hanging out, you know, when he's hanging out with the, with the boys guys, back right? in the, yeah. You know, Azariah and all those guys. Um, you know, I think that they would have gone by that. And, he, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest here. There, there's two reasons I think that. Uh, one of them, well, I guess this is the main don't, reason. Don't get too controversial here. I'm <laughs> not. This is just my experience of, of living in a country where there were multiple, where there were multiple cultures together. So, you know, when I was in the Dominican Republic, you had not only the Spanish speaking culture there, but you also had the, the Haitian culture. And so there are a lot of people there who had two, sometimes three names, um, and they would be used in the, in the different context. So you, you get what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and, and so a lot of people didn't understand that, you know, that, that, that they just thought that was their name. So I had a, a guy that we knew that was, um, well, I, I guess I shouldn't use names, but, but had a Spanish name mm -hmm. and everybody just thought, assumed that was his name. And, uh, even on Facebook, he had that name twice and everybody just assumed, well, it's his first name and his last name. And it's like, no, <laughs> his, his official name is, is a, is a French or, you know, Creole name. Uh -huh. And, uh, that's just what he goes by because no one can pronounce that in Spanish, right? Yes. But, but there are other reasons too, not, not only that, but mm -hmm. sometimes you're given a name that, that may have significance of some, some sort and, uh, uh a nickname, right? Yep. There are times you go by a, a different kind of name. So, so, you know, I, I don't, well, you know, you do have some significant name changes like Peter, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, here's where we always had to be Saul, careful. And Saul and Paul well, had, he kind of had a significant name change, didn't he? Was it? Uh, see, that's the one I was, that's the one I always balk at because I honestly think it was simply because he had the name Shaul, which was after he was, he was a Benjamite, right? Mm -hmm. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. So he was, he was from the tribe of Shaul, from Saul's tribe. Mm -hmm. But then Paulos is is a Greek name. Um, so it's just because he was going to the Gentiles that changed I to Paul? I, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you that, and this, I have no way to prove this. I think he had the name before because he, where he lived, I think he was just called Paul. Um, and I think in Gentile context, he was called Paul. And I'd say when he was in a Jewish context, he was called Shaul. That'd be my guess. Saul, that would mm -hmm. be my guess. Um, and the reason I think that is, you know, this, 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 is, a good, little, this is a good aside <laughs> to Daniel. This is far, far aside to Daniel. Um, you know, there's, so he was a Roman citizen. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And where he lived was in Syria. Um, and, and so he was a Jewish person living in kind of a, a Gentile context where, he, and he, there's every indication that he had Greek education, every right. indication that he had Greek Greek education. Uh, not only he quotes poets that were used, you know, when when people were learning Greek, he um, uses rhetorical forms that were clearly taught in in class, you know, in in, in the classroom. Yeah. Then, um, you know, there there are all kinds of indications that he had a Greek education, and his family had some kind of connection that had gotten them even though they were Jew, Jews by ethnicity had gotten them citizenship and paul makes it clear you know i didn't gain this i didn't pay for this i was born a roman citizen mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, it wasn't him it was his family right okay and and so and, and i find it well anyway that's enough speculation rob rabbit trail but anyway, I, I just think he had the name Paulos. I, I don't know if Shaul's difficult for a Greek person to say. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Okay. But let's return yeah. back to our story. I'm sorry. I that's that's fine. No, but that was good. So there's something in the name. I just thought yeah. I just saw that yeah. we we kind of went from this. I do think there's significance. I do think there's significance in Daniel and Belteshazzar. Yeah. And so so I do yeah, it it could be. It could be at least and, and here's the thing. Whether it's historical or not, it could be a narrative device. I I, I don't know. We'd have to look at. We'd have to look at. Is it? Is he ever called Belteshazzar after that? And you know, different. We'd mm -hmm. have to make some different connections there. I think, but I don't know. Could be. Excellent. All right. So, 
You have something in Hebrews. You want me to read here? Yeah, go ahead and read that. And then, and then I was just going to ask in general, what do you think we've learned from these narratives from this, you mm-hmm. know, when we, as we cl- conclude this narrative section? All right. I'm going to read, uh, this is Hebrews 11, 32 through 34. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. So, you know, he's obviously summarizing. This is the end of that that faith chapter, we call right. it. You know, the, the, the heroes whole of the faith. Of, yeah, heroes of the faith. And so you've got all those stories early on, and now at the end he kind of just summarizes. Here, here are these other – I'm not going to talk about these – but obviously, Daniel is mentioned there, at least in the terms of the shutting of the mouths of the lions, right? That's a, that's a direct reference to that Daniel story. The whole idea of bringing kingdoms, you know, I think had maybe something to do with Daniel because he here he was present at the day that that God declared that this is I'm bringing the Babylonian Empire to end. These these people who've taken my people into captivity that I, well that God allowed. Uh, or even we could go so far as God caused uh, to take them into into captivity. Uh, Daniel is present, you know. He, you know, so to speak, he he's in the room, right, in the room where it happened. Yep. Um, when this when this change took place. Yeah. Great. So yeah, I just thought that was an interesting little thing—the whole idea of the mouths of lions being shut. But um, do you want to talk about the the Trimper Longman thing that yeah, you, you so, had? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's um, chiastic chiasm. Would you call yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or so, chiasm. I knew. I knew you said it some way. I didn't say. <laughs> chiasm. Whatever. Yeah. Say trap. Anyway, satrap. Say trap. Say trap. Chiasm. You say uh, tomato. I say, say tomato. 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 Say trap. Say trap. Let's call the whole thing off. All right. So if you're still with us, um, so I was reading. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, so I was reading uh, Tripper Longman, who's been yeah. a guest on our podcast, on our show, yeah. uh, or ha- published a book because I got Logos, by the way. So I've got all these books now. So I was I was going to mention that. We'll, we'll talk about that some next week. Yeah, maybe it'll make it real exciting. So I was looking through this book, you know, because I'm I'm scholar. How to read Daniel? <laughs> um, and so I'm reading this book, and he's drawing the connections, as you've kind of rightly pointed out here, that the. the that there's these couplets, these pairs yes. of stories that kind of are mirrored to each other. That um, in chapter two of Daniel, we have a, a dream of a statue representing four kingdoms. Right. And then as we'll go into next week, we have in chapter seven, a vision of beasts representing four kingdoms. Right. You know, we have these things together. And then chapter three, a court conflict, uh, which is the three friends in the fiery yep. furnace. And then and then what we just read today, a court conflict, Daniel's in the lines. A lot of similarities. There's, we there's pointed these out parallel a lot of stories that yeah. we kind of see that it's, and what I think is interesting, and then the finally uh, interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel 4, where Nebuchadnezzar goes nuts and goes, right. um, but then finds God. And then we have uh, interpreting the writing on the wall in Daniel 5, when they have the elements and then the kingdom's right. turned over. Where his son, where his son loses yeah. the kingdom then yeah. yeah but we see these these kind of couplets of stories and that they kind of form this pyramid of stories about yeah. what's happening inside uh daniel and i thought that was really interesting um you know i think it's as you said like this is the thing that i'm always learning you and i had this conversation it's like duh hit me upside the head but like how these how these stories are put together yeah. is very intentional Yep. You know, it's not your Uncle Benny. I think that's who you call. That's your fictitious person named Uncle Benny. Whoever, whoever's uncle, yeah. Uncle Biney. I'm going to call him since we can't agree on words. Beanie. Uncle Beanie. <laughs> yeah, he, anyway. he always wore a beanie in. Oh, it's weird. Anyway, um, so, but that, that these the, this book is put together a certain yeah. way. That to to draw your attention to the parallels yes. of these stories again, we've we've seen that throughout the stories as well, like yeah. the the God of uh, the Babylonian God versus the Hebrew God, but even the whole the larger narrative of the of the right. book 
has that structure as well that we see these parallel stories yeah. taking place. And so that to me is always interesting. Like if you're yeah. reading the Bible and um, I'm in a men's group and I'm always pointing out like, you know, it's like, oh, we can jump here. You know, like, I don't, why did they do right. this here? It's like, there's a reason. Like we can't, um, and I think that's the, that's the hard that's the easy thing to miss because yeah. sometimes we don't see the the whole the whole thing we, together. You know, they were meant they were meant to be read as a whole, and yeah. and, and we don't we we you know in our in our modern whatever group you're from whatever kind of liturgical tradition you you have, um, it, it, it what we tend to do is we tend to read isolated passages. And even if, I think we're well, maybe it's just I'm I'm used to this, but you know, expositional preaching we've talked about it. You know that that exegetical. Um, there in the past, there were times I can remember a preacher, he'd have like one verse. <laughs> this is this is my text for today, and then Jesus you know, maybe even, wept. <laughs> maybe even one word that he would he he would pick up on, and you know what I'm saying that mm-hmm. that and. and and that's not the way that these texts were intended to be to be consumed, to be understood. I guess would be a better mm-hmm. way to put it. Um, well, I guess Peterson's "Eat This Book" is not. But anyway, the, the oh my gosh, the whole idea, the whole idea of understanding them and and you know trying to you know when I talk about the intentionality, the important thing for me is is that helps to show me what what it is that I'm supposed to draw. What, what are the, the lessons? What is the meaning that, that I'm supposed to draw out of this? And I'm not trying to limit that say there's just one, there's one correct mm-hmm. meaning, but I do think it gives us a, a good hint as to the directions that we need to be, the, the kind of things that we need to be learning from this. And that was my question. I, I think that's neat. I think that's neat. You brought up this, this idea of chiasm, by the way, that's it, the Greek letter, um, chi or key is, um, is an X is like a capital X shape. And that's where they get that. The idea of, if you can imagine the, the farther X, you know, the farther ends of the X kind of coming down toward the middle. Mm-hmm. And, and usually the, the point of a chiasm is that the very central point is kind of what, what's really is, is going on here. And, and so this whole idea of interpreting um, the dream and, and the writing on the wall could be a part of this understanding uh, you know that that God gives His people a better a better better ability to understand the nature of reality than than the king's advisors, right? Than the the, the, the quote unquote wisest people in the land uh, may be kind of the the primary uh, point if we if we take the chiasm in that way. But anyway, the, my my other question to you was kind of as we brought, bring this, as we draw this narrative section to a close, what do you think are some of the the major lessons that we've we could take from this, or what are some of the what you call the major points? You know? uh, I think the the major point is about faithfulness in the face of yeah. blatant adversity, right? You right. know that there is. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's obviously. I mean. Daniel knows even this story we just read that Daniel knows this decree has gone out, but it is not yeah. a. It's not he's not changing his routine. Yeah. Now he's not intentionally antagonistic. Exactly. Let's yeah. make that point out there that we shouldn't yeah. be intentionally yeah. antagonistic well, that's of what the culture. When, yeah, he's, he doesn't. He's he's living yeah. in the culture, but he's not compromising to the culture. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so I, I think, think that's good. Yeah, yeah I think that's, and uh, you know, I just think the the main thing in this is like. I don't think Shadrach, Meshach, or you know, those guys are kind of going. Oh man, we're gonna we're setting ourselves up to do this. It was just like I'm gonna be faithful in this, and God reveals Himself yeah. in their faithfulness. Yeah, it's not like I, you know, I, we don't have a narrative of God saying like, "Hey guys, this is gonna happen. Say this, and then I'm gonna deliver you." It was no in their obedience. God right. is revealed. Not. He- yeah, it, it's there, isn't there that they say, even if. Even if we don't, yeah. But it was just, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like, there was a risk to it. We talked yeah. about this. Like, mm-hmm. they acknowledge, like, maybe it won't, but still we will not compromise. And yeah. and, and obedience gives the opportunity for God to reveal himself yeah. through some that's of this good. stuff. Not, not that God that. couldn't reveal himself otherwise. No, I get what you're but saying. But in, yeah. in their individual, in their faithfulness, God is, they're, they're, exalted in that context yeah. and it gives a god an opportunity to reveal himself and as you said i think you know it's one thing to go you know if you're a, a captive there and 
you know, you can minister to your neighbor, you know, right. which is good. Right. But these are guys that are close to the king. Like this is a, the, the, you're yeah. changing the structure exactly. of what happens to your yeah. people by their faithfulness in the yeah. in the midst of adversity. Which again, you meant you know we will pull Esther into that context as well. It's the same Absolutely. kind of you know for a time as this that you've been brought into this position. Yeah. The other thing I I, I want to call out is that it, it really struck me this time through. I think is that is just the contrast be, between humility and and egoism, right? Mm-hmm. The 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 ruler who who is putting themselves, exalting themselves, and Daniel who's constantly pointing toward God. I think that to me really really stuck out a lot um, this this time around. You know, <laughs> building a statue to yourself, that kind of thing. You uh-huh. know. And then being made into an animal, you know that that sort of uh, yeah. uh, gold know, statues sort of to eat in grass, <laughs> right? And, and the and the pride of you know Belshazzar and his feast, I, and I've often talked about that. Just this idea that we're we're impregnable, you know. We, You're surrounded, we're in, yeah. We're invincible, and that very night, um, you know, the kingdom is ripped away from him. So, so I think that kind of the the foibles or the fallibility of of human pride um i think is one of the things i noticed this time through yeah anything else you want to mention or is that no and i think it's i think it's great again as i as i always say this to go through these narratives a little bit look at structure look at you know some of those things that cultural things that are not plainly visible as an English reader sometimes yeah. to see, you know, we talked about the names from the very beginning, what the names right. represented, some of that uh, historical context that we talked about in chapter five with the war that's, you know, the siege that's being laid outside, yep. you know, with the, the Medes and Persians right outside. Again, that's not in scripture, not to say that the scripture is deficient. It's telling the story it needs to tell, right. but that historical context gives us a richer idea of, yeah. again, that pride. Which that, I think for the original readers would have been a part, they would have known that right, story. It's, you know? Yeah, it's... Yes, but apparently, <laughs> apparently, us thirty five hundred years later, we've missed out on it. Yeah, um, is it thirty five hundred years? No, that's uh, three thousand. Three thousand. It would have been six. Um, yeah, six oh six. Twenty twenty six hundred. Yeah, David. Five, what yeah. David would have been three thousand. Anyway, so <laughs> numbers. Um, so coffee. Um, but no, I think, I think it's just good to go through there. Look at the structure, see what's happening. And I'm, yeah. I'm really excited to get into Daniel seven. Yeah. Um, I, cause I think this is that, you know, if you're going to pick out the easy parts of Daniel to talk about it, <laughs> there's still plenty of good things in there, yeah. but to kind of get into this, the other pieces of this and what Daniel's pointing towards, what this prophetic right. vision is pointing towards. Well, I think it'll give us a context because we, we saw, we've already seen a kingdom change, right? We saw. Mm, yeah, right. And, and it was none other than God Himself, with you know, who had the writing on the wall that this is the way it's going to happen. And and there's even these we've talked. I haven't talked about it probably enough, but there's these echoes of Je- Jeremiah that we have at the beginning of Daniel, for example, and and at various places we have these echoes of of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said, "This is how it's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. the 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 Babylonians are going to come take us away, but in seventy years, then then it's going to be re- the kingdom's going to be restored to us." So, you know, that just that kind of idea of we talked about God's sovereignty, uh, you know, I think, and, and just these kings. It's almost comical in some ways that these kings, and maybe I'll read Isaiah 10 some next week, but th- these kings have this idea that it's their might and their power and their wisdom that's that's causing these world events. And Daniel's perspective is to say, no, it's God. There's a God in heaven and he's on his throne. So. Yeah. Well, great. Exciting. I was... I was uh, I'm tempted to get on my, my soapbox. And she said all about a narrative. I, I will say that's my soapbox on John, folks, is, um, well, two things. is One, when we when we read them with a harmony, we, we want to tear the gospel of John apart because three of the gospels follow a very similar narrative um, pattern, arc, right, mm-hmm. pattern. And, and we want to fit John into that. And in order to do that, we have to cut it into pieces. <laughs> And and basically disjoin it, um, and, and so I think that that's one thing I'll mention. And the other thing is, we we fail to notice when I think John intentionally moves something, like the temple incident, for example. 
mm-hmm. to the beginning of the Gospel of John, and we're like, oh, we're, maybe there were two. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't, I think we're failing to, I think, I think we're misreading narrative. Anyway, that's my little soapbox. <laughs> what? <laughs> Narrative is important. Structure is important. Another day. Yeah, yeah. How, the, how the how the uh, stories are structured. We've talked about that with Jody Owens when we've had Jody Owens on here. Yeah. Like even the Old Testament exactly. and Daniel, the, how the story is told. Yeah, judges. Yeah. Joshua. Yeah. Samuel, Kings, mm-hmm. Chronicles. All those. All those narratives. All those narratives are important. <laughs> well, Brian, th- even Gen- even Genesis. Uh, <laughs> yes, it <laughs> is important. There, huh? No, don't. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, uh, well, Brian, thank you so much. Yeah. Looking forward to Daniel 7. We yeah, hope you all have enjoyed. Fun. We've had some little rants today, a little yeah. offshoots, but that's all good. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can yeah. join us. Join us on Patreon. And Patreon mm-hmm. is a lovely platform where you can get some swag. You can subscribe. You can say, I'm going to spend $5, 10 $15 a month to help support our mission and what we're doing here. Help us pay for gas money, for hosting, for right. hosting this, you know. Coffee. Coffee, and- time, too much coffee. Don't don't take this as, <laughs> don't cut back if you're supporting this now. Um, but just kind of help doing this. You know, we, we right. hope you find this uh, helpful. Yeah. Uh, we, we would like to expand some of the things that we offer here going into yeah. the future uh, once our lives become if they ever do yeah and and i'll say this share share it's always we're, we're still having people who are discovering the podcast it's always encouraging when someone shares with us and and let us know if you've just discovered the podcast or you find it useful just drop us a line it helps helps keep us yeah. going even more than caffeine <laughs> yes you can send us a message on facebook instagram uh you can send us our email you can send us a message uh through the website thebiblebistro.com so yeah. brian thanks so much yeah. and i'm definitely looking forward to next week yeah I'll see you next week ryan mm-hmm. bye-bye Bye.